Say what you want, but that's got a lot of truth in it. <laughs> I loved it in the, in the video. It just happened this way where it talked about down the Amen corner and Sister Bertha better than you, and the word ouch popped up. You know, it's just very appropriate time. And then it was a fight for survival that broke out into revival. And if you'll think in just a moment when you hear some of the scriptures we're going to read, it really just fits very, very, very well. Amen. Mama T, perfect song. She said, hey, I'm singing on this day. You know, what do you think about Wayfaring Stranger? I said, the sermon title is called Driftwood, and it's going to tie in just perfect. So God has been real good. Brother Jim's testimony, incredible. This wonderful song, that last song we sang in the worship time, you know, about Jesus. It's just been good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. It really has. Well, here we are in week number two of Ouch, Oi, and Zing, and amazingly, I got several emails about the word oi. People had looked it up on the internet for me and found it, and people said, hey, I know that word and seen that word. But here's the funny thing I got to tell you. So last week at 5 o'clock was the um, March Madness Selection Show. And I'm, I'm not a big sports fan, but that just sounded interesting. So I decided to record it. And uh, so after church, I was watching it. And uh, lo and behold, um, you know, they have this commercial with the little green lizard guy. You know, and he's at the March March Madness thing, and the commentator says, "So, is it, how are you enjoying your first March Madness?" He said, "Oh, I really like it a lot." And about that time, one of the teams runs and cross in front of the camera, and the little green lizard goes nuts, and guess what he says? "Oi, oi, oi!" I'm going, oh. and of course he's British, you know, the little lizard is British. So I said, "Man, is that not cool, Judy? Can you believe that?" "Oi, oi, oi!" It's everywhere. It's a god thing. It's just a God thing. All right. Well, today, well, our sermon title is Driftwood, and uh, you'll find out what that means in just a moment. But you know, Gene and I have had privilege to go to Northern California, and we have walked the beaches of Northern California, and they are simply beautiful. And one of the things that makes them beautiful is the magnificent driftwood that has been washed into the ocean and has floated around just a little bit and then, like I say, washes up on the shore. And so driftwood is very, very beautiful. But here's what I want you to know about this. You know, driftwood has a certain beauty and yet it will never see its true purpose. Driftwood has a certain beauty but it will never see its true purpose. I got a side of a pitch, couple of pictures there. You know, there's a lamp made from driftwood, and then there's an end table made from driftwood. But here's the deal. You know, while that table lamp is beautiful, and that table is beautiful, and that table lamp is beautiful, here's the deal. That wood, because it was drift, you know, washed out to sea and drifted, will never know what it could have been. And what it could have been was part of a massive sailing ship. What it could have been was part of a wonderfully large home. You know, wood can be used for magnificent purposes, but driftwood will never see that. And that's my point with Christians today, is that we've got to be careful not to drift. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 1, the very first part there, it talks about drifting. It talks about drifting. In fact, it's a very, very powerful warning. So, that's where I landed for the sermon. And so, Hebrews 2, 1, and then I saw these first three words, and it caused me to pause. Because it was kind of like when, you know, Bible always, you always say, if there's a therefore in the Bible, you've got to stop and see what it's there for. Well, this is a therefore of different sorts. 
when the author of Hebrews, and we're not sure who that is, but when the author of Hebrews said, for this reason, I was cause to pause. Now, y'all have ever been on vacation or leaving on a trip, and you got into the car, and you go about, oh, you know, seven, eight miles, and then one of you will speak up and say something like this, oh no, I forgot. Now, if it's something, even if you're going to Florida on vacation, and you lost your, you know, you forgot your swimsuit, okay, no big deal. You know, we have a saying, we've been to Africa and other countries before, uh, Gene and I have, and so here's the deal. Here's what we say invariably, if it's something not critical, we'll say, oh well, this is America. Uh, meaning that we can go to Walmart, we can go to Dillard's, we can go somewhere and buy whatever we left behind. But every once in a while, it's something critical. Once in a while, it may be your wallet, you know, it may be your contacts that you're going to wear throughout the vacation. Oh, it might be your medicine. You see, you also know the importance of that. I've got, I've got two. I don't have one. I've got two of them little containers that you put the pills in and you flip them up, you know, and take your medicine so you'll know where you are in your medicine deal. i got two of them suckers going. i got one for the morning and i got one for the night, okay? Now, if I get about 10 miles from home and I realize I left my medicine behind, that's a no-brainer. you got to turn around. You gotta go back. You can't get to Florida and buy your medicine unless you can call CVS and get them to transfer it. But the bottom line is, you really can't go without it. Well, here's, that's exactly what happens in Hebrews 2.1a. And when it says that for this reason, we got to pause. We gotta, listen, we gotta turn around and go back to the driveway. We gotta turn around. This is not an optional thing. We gotta find out what the author's talking about. And to do that, we go back to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. So it's kinda of funny. You got Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, and then you got Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. And that's where we're gonna to be today. So we're gonna turn around, and we're gonna go back into the driveway to get what we forgot, and we find it in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. And this is where, again, the song kinda of fits in about, you know, God can use anything. To bring revival, and he could truly use a half-crazed Mississippi squirrel. But look what it says in Hebrews 1, 1. It says, long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. So a long time ago, God spoke to the fathers through the prophets at different times and in different ways. You know, if you want to communicate to a deaf person, you would probably learn to do sign language. If you were wanting to send a note or have a book given to a blind uh, to a blind person, then you would probably that's a, that's a deaf blind deaf deaf. You would have sign language blind. You would have braille a braille book. Okay. Now, now, ladies, I'm going to help you out here. If you're talking to your husband, there are two rules you need to understand: small words. Short sentences. Small words, short sentences. If you want to talk to your husband, don't whoop out no three or four syllable words on him. He's going to go, huh? And, and he's, listen, he's done lost you after ten words. So if you're going to learn to talk to your husband, do it with short, small words, short sentences. Alright? Well, God then turned around and spoke to the fathers through the prophets different times and in different ways. That's hugely important. So if you're taking notes, write that thing down right there, alright? Now, here's what, here's what I just, I said, well, how do, how do you do that? I said, well, you know, when, when God slayed the animal, after Adam and Eve had sinned, when God slayed the animal in the garden, He was speaking. 
And, and when God told Noah to build an ark, God was speaking. When, when Abraham was told to offer his son Isaac on the, on the altar, and then right before the knife came down, you know, Abraham looked over and see, saw a ram entangled in the brush. And he knew that God was speaking. When, when God told Israel to offer the first sacrificial Passover lamb, when God instituted the Passover, He was speaking. He was speaking. Um, later on, God instituted the sacrificial system where goats and lambs were offered up as a blood sacrifice for the people's sin. And He was speaking. And later on, when God spoke through the prophet Isaiah and talked about a virgin conceiving and a Messiah suffering, He was speaking. And, and later, when, when Micah wrote about this wonderful little town called Bethlehem, he was speaking. And here's the deal. All through the Old Testament, God spoke in different ways at different times through different prophets, but the message was the same. Redemption. 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 You might say, if you look all the way through, through Genesis, all the way to Malachi, you see the words, He's coming. He's coming. And the He is the Son of God. And He's coming for a purpose, and that is we needed a blood sacrifice. You know, you know, the Bible consists of 66 different books. It was written by 40 pairs of hands. It was written over a 1,500 year period. But it may have had 66 books and 40 pairs of hands and 1,500 years, but I want you to know something. There is only one message of the Bible, and that is God's love story for us. It is the story of redemption. Now, if you're sitting there and you're not feeling very significant this morning, you feel like you've been cast away, you feel like you're not important to anyone, no one cares and no one loves you, well, let me just tell you something. Again, God wrote a book with 66 different titles in it with with four. 40 pairs of hands written over 1,500 years and he wrote it for one reason so you today would know one thing that there is a God for sure and he loves you. He loves you. He doesn't care what you've done. He don't care how big your sin list is. He don't care if you think you're the chief of sinners or the best person there is. I'm telling you, there's a God today that's certain and He does love you very much. Now, W.A. Criswell, and I I, I quote a few dead people every once in a while now, and so I want you to know because you say, well, who is W.A. Criswell? W.A. Criswell was a Southern Baptist. He was the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas for several, several decades, but he was really famous for a couple things. One is, he deeply loved the Word of God. He deeply loved the Word of God. And two, he believed in the Gospel. He believed in the Gospel. He believed in that that scarlet thread, if you will, woven through the Bible. And he wrote a book entitled, The Scarlet Thread. And here's a short excerpt from that, in in W.A. Criswell speaking, saying this, A scarlet thread of redemption, a scarlet thread of redemption is woven throughout the Scriptures. It traces God's unfolding plan of love to redeem fallen mankind. From Genesis to Revelation, this red ribbon represents our need for an innocent blood sacrifice. Ultimately, God sent His Son to die on the cross as a sacrifice for all our sins. There's this wonderful message that God has woven throughout His Word. 
It's not about a message of performance. It's not about a message you ought to go to church. It's not a message about how good you think you ought to be. It's a message of redemption. So from Genesis to Malachi, God speaks. God speaks. And God speaks. And then before the ink is dried in Malachi, it stops. Before the ink is dried in Malachi, it stops. And then there comes a time of silence for, now get this, we get, we get a little bit antsy when we ask God to answer a prayer and it's not answered in two days. Four hundred years. After talking from Genesis to Malachi and then four hundred years of silence. Four hundred years of silence. Four hundred years of waiting. Four hundred years of questions. Will rescue come? Will love come down? Will God ever speak again? 400 years of silence. And then the author in Hebrews, after saying God spoke to the fathers um, through, through the prophets in different times and different ways, he says this in Hebrews 1, 2. It says, In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. In these last days. Here, God becomes silent for 400 years. He talked through Genesis and Malachi, and then 400 years of silence. And I heard it said one time, that if God spoke in the Old Testament, He shouts in the New Testament. And He shouts by sending His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's why we had to go back. That's how come we had to turn around and go back to the driveway because now the author of Hebrews just speaks about the majesty and the wonder of this Son. In Galatians 4, 4, you know, in the fullness of time, when the time was right, not from our perspective, but when the time was right, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. It's the message of redemption at the right time. Listen, God sent Jesus Christ. Look at me. God sent Jesus Christ for you to be saved. For you to be saved. If you're here today and that word saved is foreign to you, it means that God sent Jesus so that you and your sin could be forgiven if you choose to turn from your sin and follow Him. God sent Jesus Christ that you could spend eternity in a place called heaven. And He did it right when the time was right. In this case, 400 years of silence. And when He spoke, He literally shouted. You know, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm going to tell you what, if a picture is worth a thousand words, these 25 words, these 25 words are worth a million words. You won't find a more powerful proclamation of God's love and the gospel story than you will in John 3, 16. So then the author of Hebrews continues in chapter 1 and he starts telling us about the, the story of the man, of the son. He tells us about Jesus. God spoke through the prophets in many ways. In these last days, He's spoken through His son. And so it's like He says, well, you might want to know who this son is. 
who this son is. Well, in Hebrews 1 to the second part, the second part, it says, God has appointed him, the son, God has appointed him, the son, heir of all things. In other words, God has appointed him, this son, as king of kings and lord of lords. You may say, who is this Jesus? He's a man like no other man. He's a 100% God and 100% man. There's never been a man born the way he was born. There's never been a man who lived like he lived. There's never been a man who died like he died. There's never been a man buried like he was buried because his grave was temporary. And there's never been a man who resurrected from the dead never to die again. Never to die. Yeah, amen. Y'all do something. Y'all do something. I'm telling you, it's an amazing, wonderful story. But I like the part, in the last part, God has appointed Him heir of all things, and, now listen now, and made the universe through Him. So this Son is the Creator of the universe. Paul also stated this and wrote about it. Paul, the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1.16 said, For everything, how much? Everything, yeah. For everything was created by Him. In heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. So God is saying, I spoke to my Son, and what you need to know about my Son is, is that He's powerful, He is King of kings, and He's the Creator of all things. Now John said it this way, in John 1, 3, it says this, All things, how many? Yeah, all things. Y'all with me. That's good. All things were created through Him. Now watch now. Don't miss this. And apart from Him, apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. What a, what a son. What a son. This son of mine is King of Kings and He's the Creator. If it's, if it's been created, it was Him. If it was created... It was Him who did it. And then the author of Hebrews continues talking about the Son and says this, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of His nature. So so the author of Hebrews lays out there for us, not only is He the Creator, He is the express image of His Father. In other words, Jesus Christ is God. He's not just the Son of God. He is God. He's the exact expression of God. You know, Philip, one of Jesus' followers one day in John chapter 14, you know, Philip says, Hey Jesus, why don't you show us the Father and that will be enough. And Jesus said, My goodness, Philip, have you not been long with me that you know that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? If you're sitting here today and you say, You know, I would believe in God if I knew what He looked like. Well, you whip out Matthew. Get your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, get your your app. That's fine. And get you one of the Bible apps that says all the Scriptures. And and you just get out of Matthew. Or you get the writings of, of Mark. Or you get the writings of Luke. Or you get the writings of John. And what you're going to see is, you're going to see a beautiful choreography, a, a writing, a painting, uh, describing Jesus Christ. And if you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. If you have seen you, that's why this simple, that's how we come, we had to turn around and go back to the house. Because the author of Hebrews is going to tell us that we're in danger of drifting. And what's going to anchor us is what we know and believe about Jesus Christ. 
You can listen, in this crazy world, when people say, I don't always believe in God, I think Jesus is a farce, I think the Bible is a bunch of myths, you got to know what you believe and why you believe it. Now's the time you know the Word of God. Brother James was absolutely right. We need to get the Word of God in our hearts, in our lives, in our minds, and let it play out in our lives. We've got to do that. We've got to do that. Over, over in John again, John uh, 1, 3, all things were created through Him. Apart from Him, not one thing was created that was created. We see the Son, the radiance of God's glory, an exact expression of His nature. You know, once again in John. See, the first, like the first four or five verses of John, the Gospel of John, are just packed. Are just packed. Here's what John said about Jesus being God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. And you say, well, who's the Word? Well, verse 14, it says that. It tells us. It says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, and the glory of that only as of God the Father. Of God the Father. Who was the Word? It was Jesus Christ. So we have to know that He created all things, okay? And that He is God and was, is God in the flesh. But that's I really like. Finally, in verse 3 of chapter 1, the author of Hebrews uh, takes us back and says this. He sustains, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. Sustaining all things by His powerful Word. I really like this. Because that word, sustaining, means holding together. Now, I'm not going to try to impress you with my knowledge of science because I think I passed it in high school with a D. Okay? But if I understand it correctly, all matter, and all that matters, is made of atoms. And an atom consists of a nucleus with, with protons and, and neutrons... And then spinning around that nucleus is thing called electrons. You got all that? All them things are spinning around. Now, I'm going to really bless your heart today. If you ever want to know, if you're still in school and your, student, or your science teacher asks this question, you know, how does all this work? You tell them, oh, that's Jesus. Because the Bible says all them electrons are spinning around the nucleus on a certain course... Because the Bible says He sustains all things. Them, them, those electrons don't go flying off in space because God, Jesus Christ, is the dictator of both physical things and spiritual things. This world, listen, this world is held together by Jesus Christ. And listen to this. This is even clearer. Listen to Colossians 1.17. He is before all things. In other words, He has the priority. He's number one of all things. And by Him, all things hold together. He's holding it all together. You want to know, you know why the moon rises every day and circles the earth? It's because God said so. You want to know why the earth circles the sun the way it does in 365 days plus a little, take a little? Because Jesus, God said so. You want to know why our universe circles around in our galaxy the way it does, the Milky Way? Because God said so. You want to know why the Milky Way is on the set course that it is among the other thousands of galaxies that are out there? Because God said so. Now let me just tell you something right now, by the way, in case you're wondering, if you're worried about your world falling apart, well, I think if God can hold the universe and beyond together, I'm pretty sure He can hold your life together. 
Now, if you're sitting there today and you're going, well, I don't know if I need Jesus. Honey, you need Jesus. If nothing else, then you need Jesus to keep your life together. You need Jesus to keep your life from falling apart. Oh, there's power there. That's why, this is why we had to go back to the driveway. We need to know this and we need to believe this. And finally, in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, the last part, it goes like this. And this is the crown jewel. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now this is the apex. The cross is the apex of it all. The, the cross is the apex of the whole redemption story. When it says, after making purification for sins, the author of Hebrews is saying that there's a time when the Son of God, Jesus Christ, hung on a Roman cross. And they nailed Him there, and He willingly went to the cross. Again, it wasn't a plan gone bad. It wasn't a martyr situation. He laid His life down. And He did so by dying on a Roman cross. And after He did this, after making purification for sins, He sat down now, you know why he sat down? Because he was done. It was done. It was done. Okay? He sat down at the right hand. Where did he sit? At the right hand. The position of authority next to the Father. Next to the Father. Why did he sit down in the position of authority? Because, honey, all authority was granted to him. Again, he is King of kings, Lord of lords. He is the creator of all things. Don't lose that. Now, some of y'all sitting there going, well, I don't understand why this is such a big deal. Would you mind getting in the game? This is big news, man. I'm telling you, if God ain't God, if Jesus ain't Jesus, and the Holy Spirit ain't Holy Spirit, we're all in deep weeds. But He is, He is, and He is. Man, there's a, another time in Hebrews 10.12. Listen to this. I'll slow down. Hebrews 10.12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins... He sat down at the right hand of the Father. He just said it another way. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Father. See, it goes like this. He laid His life down on a cross. They laid His body in a grave. On the third day, He got up. And 40 days later, He sat down. Oh, come on. Let me try that again. Because you didn't get that. He laid his life down on a cross. Then they laid his body in a grave. And then 40 days later, he ascended and got up. He got up the third day and ascended on the 40th day. And when he got to heaven, he sat down. And he sat down because it was done. It was done. See, the words there, when Jesus cries out on the cross, it is finished. Those three English words, okay, translate one Greek word to telestai. Now again, I'm not trying to impress you with my Greek because I ain't got no knowledge of Greek. But I want you to get this. The word tetelestai, as Jesus used it when He cries out, it is finished, is huge. Someone say huge. I mean, it's huge. It's huge. Here's what you need, again, you know, my daughter can probably correct me on this, but I think, for instance, you know, there are different tenses. You know, there is, was, and will be. Those are different tenses, I think, of, of, the, of the language. Is, was, and will be. Well, there are tenses in Greek that are hugely important. Now, when Jesus spoke the word to telestai, okay, He used it in the perfect tense. 
Now, let me tell you what that means, because that, that don't sound, well, you know, he's perfect, so yeah, I guess he used it in the perfect sense. No, 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 no. See, that, that one word subdivides into two different tenses that are hugely important. Okay? The first one is the aorist tense. The aorist tense. And what that means is one time in history. One time in history. So, on a cross 2,000 years ago, Jesus cried out on the cross and said, It is finished. And He laid down His life. He he gave up His breath. He died on the cross for the sins of mankind. For the sins of mankind. So, in the aorist sense, it points back to a one-time deal. But then, that same word has another tense tied in. It's very unusual. In the Bible, in Greek. It has another tense tied into it, and that is the present tense. And the present tense is linear. In other words, it continues. So here's what Jesus said. When He cried out and said, It is finished to die," He said, It is finished, and it will keep on being finished. Now let me tell you, some of y'all get all worked up about, well, what if I lose my salvation? What if I lose my salvation? Well, let me just tell you when you're going to lose your salvation. When it quits being finished, you'll lose your salvation. But don't worry, because it never stops being finished. There ain't no God, and we're all in trouble anyway. You see, listen, we are saved forever. His salvation on the cross was a marked date in history, but it continues out. It keeps right on going. It's linear. It has no stopping point. No stopping. Do you see why we had to turn around and go back to the driveway? We need to know this stuff. We need to know this stuff. So he cries out and says, it is finished. And then in verse number 4 of chapter 1, the Hebrew author says this, So, he says, so... He became superior to the angels just as his name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. In other words, he's proven who he is. He's so much farther above angels. And just so you'll know, so much further above Satan. Not even in the same ballpark. Okay? He's above all that. So finally, finally now, we're going to get back in the car and pull out of the driveway. We got our medicine. We got our wallet. We got whatever we have forgotten. We went back and said, for this reason, and the reason was, He was the Son. He was Creator. He's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He gave His life up to tell us die, and He yielded His life. But we guess what? On the third day, He resurrected, and now He's seated down next to the Father. That's all for this reason. Now watch what happens. Now in Hebrews 2.1. Hebrews 2.1. For this reason, remember that was the driveway, For this reason, now I want you to really take note here. For this reason, what reason? All of that. For all of that, we must pay attention. We must pay attention all the more. So what we have heard, to what we have heard, so that we will not drift away. Let me read it again. For this reason, all that, of who Jesus is, We must pay attention all the more. Give it first priority. First priority to what we have heard. What we have heard so that we will not drift away. See, when we know the truth and we own the truth, it acts acts like an anchor. When, When we know the truth and we own the truth, 
It acts like a tether. You know, I asked, you got that picture there, Beth, of that carabiner? Yeah. These things here, this carabiner, is very important. If you're a, if you're a mountain climber, if you climb on the faces of, of rocks, those things are hugely important. Those things are attached either to the rock, and they use it as a pulley, or they're attached to the end of a rope to you. And when you jump off the side of that cliff, that carabiner holds you. The rope does, but the carabiner fails, you're going down. You're going down. Well, the truth that we've heard today, the truth that you've heard today about Jesus Christ is your anchor, it's your tether, it's your carabiner. It will hold you. And I'm going to tell you something. When the author of Hebrews 2.1 said, For this reason we all must pay attention all the more to what we've heard. And the reason why? So we don't drift away. There is an epidemic of believers in Jesus Christ who drift away. Look around this room. You and I both can see people who used to be here and they're not. What happened? They drifted away. It's dangerous. And the more we understand who Jesus is, the more we are emphatically in love, not with church. See, that's the problem. People say, well, I don't love church anymore. That wasn't your date anyway. You didn't take church to the prom. You took Jesus to the prom. I don't like church anymore. I don't like the preacher. You didn't take me to the prom either. I don't care who's bringing the Word of God. I don't care who it is. I'm just telling you this. Your prom date was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And when, listen, when you stop loving Him, and when He doesn't become number one anymore, you're going to drift. And it ain't pleasant. It ain't pleasant. You know, there's a scripture... Forgive me for once again bringing up 1 Timothy 6.10, but it has nothing to do with the money part. But listen to this. It's the perfect example. Here's what Paul wrote to the young preacher boy. We talked about it a couple, three weeks ago. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, here it is, here it is, here it is, some have wandered or some have drifted away from the faith. And when Jesus Christ is no longer the center of your affection, you're in grave danger of drifting away from the faith. It's a terrible, terrible thing. You know, I, I don't know, I, I'm a Florida boy, and I was raised on the beach growing up. And here's the deal. You know, whether it's a gentle tug or a powerful riptide, beware the pull to drift. It's a beautiful picture of riptide there. Well, ter- beautifully horrible picture of riptide. Now let me tell you, and, and Becca's been there with me so many times, you know, the guest family, we go to the beach sometimes together. You know, there's two kind of things. There's a gentle tug. Now here's what happens. You're out there, and the waves are, are coming and going, and what you do is you spot your stuff on the beach. So you're out there playing in the waves, and all of a sudden you look up, okay, and your stuff is way down there. There was a general, a gentle tug of the waves that slowly moved you not out to sea, but horizontal to the beach. That's an inconvenience. You either got to go to shore and walk down to where your stuff was and get back in, or you can fight the current. It's not dangerous, but it's a big inconvenience. And sometimes that drifting is like that. 
Sometimes it's just a gentle tug, and it may not be any disastrous spiritual consequences, but it's going to be very inconvenient in your life with Jesus. Either way, it's not a good deal. But then there's that riptide. We see it on the news all the time. There's a riptide. Somebody's pulled. They call it undertow. There's a strong pull underneath. And the person is literally sucked out into the ocean where he or she are subject to drowning. Beware of drifting. Beware of the gentle tug that slowly moves you horizontal. And for goodness sakes, watch out for the nuclear bomb. Watch out for the thing that will drag you out and drown you. I'm telling you, this drifting thing's big. Be careful. Be careful. Satan wants nothing more than to see you drift. And the sad part is, it's not like God's going to get his feelings hurt. God's a big boy. He's not going to get his feelings hurt. The one to suffer is you. Dwayne, am I losing my salvation? Just told you you can't lose your salvation. But you're going to lose your joy. You might lose your testimony. You might lose your character. You might lose your marriage. You might lose your friends. You might lose your family. Might lose your kids. The cost is great. Be careful, he says, that you do not drift away. Matt Chandler is not a dead preacher. He's a live preacher. Yay! If I remember, if I got the right guy, Matt went through brain surgery. He had a, a malignant brain tumor. Young man. Young man. Here's what he said. If the people of God are varsity at anything is drifting away from the heart of God. Uh, let me put that in terms that we older people can understand. If the people of God are good at anything, it is drifting away from the heart of God. In these critical days of our culture, now is not the time to be drifting. Now is the time to be anchored. Now is the time to be heathered, tethered. Now is the time to have your carabiner fastened securely. And he ends with one verse, and we probably won't be able to do the ABCs, Beth. In Hebrews 2, 2 through 3, it says this, For if the message spoken through angels was legally binding. In other words, you know, remember, remember when Gabriel shows up and tells Mary all about the virgin thing? You know? They were speaking for God. Angels would speak for God. Okay? Not now, but then. So, if the message spoken through angels was legally binding, and and every transgression and obedience received a just punishment, and it does. <laughs> Call me old-fashioned. Care. Call me, this is why I don't go to church. I'm going to tell you the truth. That if you die without Jesus Christ, and your sin is still on your head, and it's not forgiven, you will spend eternity in a place called hell, eternally separated from God, in a place of punishment. Not because God was mad at you, not because you weren't a good person, but because you did not receive the greatest gift ever, and that's God's redemption and forgiveness of your sins. If you die without God's grace applied to your life, you will be separated from God for all eternity. That is the truth. Now, keep in mind, by the way, well, that's just the old book of myth. Now, wait, 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 wait. This book has stood the book test of time. A lot of those how... Remember those how-to books? How to get rich, how to do this, and how to do that, and they're not even published anymore? Well, this one's still being published. 
And you won't find a revision. You'll find translations. You won't find a revision. Because this book is the Word of God. This book has stood the test of time. This book is God's authoritative Word. And it says, the whole message is redemption. And if you reject that redemption, you will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. So, if the angel spoke with legality, and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, here it is, here it is, here it is. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Now look at me. There's no escape. There's only one. And it's Jesus. Don't count on your religion to get you to heaven. Don't count on your good works to get you to heaven. Don't count on your incredible generosity to get you to heaven. Don't think that God wakes up every day and says, I'm just so blessed because I created him or her. There's one way to heaven, and it's Jesus Christ. And that's the big news. That's the big news. That's why we had to turn around and go back to the driveway. Because we need to anchor our souls in the truth of Jesus Christ. Because in the culture we're living in right now, Tim, the culture we're living in, this more and more Jesus is a joke. More and more Jesus is a joke. And we've got to be anchored in what we believe. Amen? We've got to be anchored in what we believe. And I'm praying today, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, you heard the story for the first time perhaps about a man who loved you so much, about a God who loved you so much, He worked for all those years displaying His plan and His love for you, that today you'd say, I want to know this Jesus. You know, for me, it was 1975. And I want to tell you, He's been faithful. He's been faithful. And now, these senior adults and these younger middle adults and some of these kids even, my granddaughter just recently trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. She'll tell you about Him. My grandson just, just a year or so, you know, last year, trusted Jesus Christ. He can tell you. There are people there. They can tell you that this, the religion thing doesn't work. The Jesus thing never fails. Never fails. So we end our service for the time of decision. And that's what we're going to do right now. My friend Brent's going to be standing down front. And he's there for one reason. He's waiting to see if you want to come forward. Now you'd say, Dwayne, for all these people, dude, it's worth it. I promise you, if they, if Absher Motors said, we're going to give you a free, anyone who shows up gets a free Cadillac, you would go down there in your pajamas. Amen? Am I right? It's worth it. Just come down and say, Brent, I want to know about this Jesus. I need, to, I need to have that assurance. And you know what? Today you can have it. Because of who Jesus Christ is. Is. Let's pray together. Father, I sure want to thank you um, for the privilege of sharing this truth. It amazes me each week how your word just comes alive. We want to thank you, God. We want to thank you that you warned us about drifting. And for every believer here, please help us to take seriously our faith in Christ. Satan wants to pull us apart and pull us aside so much. He wants to steal our testimony and steal our character. He wants to steal our marriage and steal our family. And the anchor to that, Jesus, is our faith and trust and love for you. So may we anchor our souls. And if there's someone here today who has never trusted Christ, oh, may today be that day. May today be that day. And Jesus, we want to pray this in your precious name. Amen.